0: The scripture reading for this morning is from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 16. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land." Well, last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and saw how God gave pastors, God gave shepherds to uh, his church as gifts. Next Sunday, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3, and that's going to kind of launch us into our season of nominations for officers, elders and deacons at Grace Church. But this Sunday, we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 34 and seeing what God does when the shepherds turn out to be wolves. We're talking this morning about the topic of spiritual abuse at the hands of the very people who were appointed by God to care for the church, to care for his sheep, his flock. The reality of spiritual abuse has sadly but importantly Surfaced in recent years. We're used to hearing about pastors who take money from people. They enrich themselves by persuading people that the more they give, the more they'll get. We're used to hearing about that. We're also sadly no longer surprised and deeply grieved when we hear about sexual abuse that occurs in churches, in Protestant churches, not just Catholic churches, as well as from leaders. Of Christian ministries, such as Ravi Zacharias. But in 2019, Sam Alberry wrote an article at the Gospel Coalition titled, How Do Churches End Up With Domineering Bullies for Pastors? And he noted that more and more pastors were being forced to step down from their ministries for bullying. Also in 2019, Colin Hansen said this, for far too long, we've tolerated the kind of leadership that should plainly disqualify pastors by several standards in Titus 1, 7 to 8, and we'll see also next week, same thing from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. And then Hansen asks this question, why do we think it's okay for pastors to abuse their members and fellow leaders so long as they don't steal money or have sex outside of marriage? Prior to and since those articles, a number of high-profile spiritual abuse cases have come to light. Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill in Seattle was forced to step down due to domineering, harsh, bullying leadership. Prior to the revelations of sexual abuse that had to do with Bill Hybels at uh, Willow Creek Church in Chicago, he had been accused of harsh, bullying leadership. Same for Ravi Zacharias before the sexual assault and abuse issues came out with him. He had been accused of harsh and bullying, domineering leadership. Same for Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty University before the sexual abuse cases came to light with him. James McDonald's elder board investigated and concluded that McDonald was qualified for ministry because of, among other things, and I'm quoting, "...insulting, belittling, and verbally bullying others." and improperly exercising positional and spiritual authority. Within our own denomination, Scott Saul, someone who I know personally, who I worked with uh, 20 years ago in St. Louis, he stepped down from his post at First Pres in Nashville uh, recently after multiple accusations of the same kind of domineering, bullying, uh, spiritual leadership and abuse. And Dane Ortonland in Naperville Presbyterian Church outside of Chicago is currently being investigated for the same. This passage in Ezekiel chapter 34 is proof to us that spiritual abuse is nothing new. It's nothing new. It's a very old thing because it's a very human thing for sinful people with power To wield their power in sinful and destructive ways. And we need to remember that no church is immune from that. Grace Church is not immune from that. There's good news in this passage. There's good news in this passage concerning God's love for his sheep. And as hard as this passage is to read and especially as the pastor, as hard as it is for me to read, there is such good news for all of us concerning God's love and care for his sheep, among whom I am numbered. I am a sheep of the Lord's. But there's also ample warning here to all of us concerning what to be looking for in those sheep who, in fact, turn out to be wolves. So there's three things I want us to look at from this passage that I read this morning. The first is what God expects of his shepherds and of his sheep. What God expects of his shepherds and of his sheep. But then secondly, what he condemns in his shepherds. And then third, how he restores his sheep. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning. We pray that you would take the truths that are here in your word And seal them to our hearts by the power of your spirit that we might live today and every day as individuals and as your church gathered here in this place for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, what God expects from his shepherds and from his sheep. Let's look first at what God expects from his shepherds. We see here in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, this theme of god as shepherd and his leaders as shepherds is prevalent throughout the bible you're familiar with psalm 23 verse 1 the lord is my shepherd we just had it sung for us and i shall not want psalm 7852 the Lord, He brought His people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. Psalm 80, this is a constant refrain through the Psalms. Psalm 80, verse 1, Hear us, shepherd of Israel, ultimately looking to the Lord, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. The sheep under his care. Tim Whitmer, in his book, The Shepherd Leader, says that the Lord is the ultimate provider, protector, and guide for his sheep. But he provided under shepherds, those who were to shepherd in his place under his authority, according to his will for his sheep. And so he provided in the Old Testament, Moses and David. Moses and David were explicitly referred to as shepherds. They shepherded God's people. On the one hand, God is the one who shepherded them out of Egypt. But Moses is also said to be a shepherd who led the people out of Egypt. David is considered to be a shepherd, a shepherd ruler. In fact, with David, you begin to see, and you can trace this back to Moses as well, this idea of the shepherd being the one who is also a ruler. So shepherding leadership, shepherding rule go together. You see that throughout the kings of Israel and of Judah. They were shepherd kings. They shepherded the people. They ruled the people. They had that kind of authority over them. And when Ezekiel is talking about uh, shepherds of Israel, he's talking about those, those kings, those leaders, but also it expanded into the priests and the Levites who had shepherding, spiritual Authority over the people. What was expected of them? They were expected to use their authority over the people to care for the people. That is inherent in the idea of shepherding to care for the flock, to protect the flock, to lead the flock, to feed the flock, to guide the flock. I mean, all these things are inherent in that idea, that very rich image of shepherding. Their role was to ensure the safety and the well-being of the flock. So who who are the shepherds of God's people today? Well, we saw last week, Ephesians 4.11, he gave, among other gifts, shepherd teachers or pastor teachers, depending how you translate and, and take care of those two Greek words. The shepherds are the elders of whom the pastors are numbered. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, as he's getting ready to leave them, he says, pay, a, "Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood." And then First Peter five, really verses one through four are are key here. But I'm going to just gonna read verses one and two. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He even refers to Christ as the chief shepherd and us elders as under-shepherds. That idea of God setting over his people, out from among them, shepherds who are to shepherd under the ultimate shepherdship or leadership authority of the Lord. That is what is expected of us as well. To exercise oversight, to care for the church of God, to know, feed, lead, and protect the flock, to, uh, as Tim Whitmer says in The Shepherd Leader. And we'll talk more about that next week as we get ready for officer nomination season. So that, that's what the Lord expects from the shepherds godly leadership from the sheep he expects godly followership Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you now that passage is a hard passage for us to hear no matter what's going on culturally no what kind of no matter what kind of sin is being you know, brought to the surface as it should be within the churches, that passage is hard to hear anyway. But especially recognizing how much spiritual abuse is taking place within the church of Jesus Christ, going all the way back to the Old Testament as we see in Ezekiel chapter 34, that makes that passage, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, a difficult pill to swallow. But it's there, The Lord doesn't deal with spiritual abuse in the church by getting rid of all authority. He calls shepherds to faithfully shepherd, and he calls sheep to faithfully follow. Now, there's two things that, again, I'll talk about this more next week, but we have to keep this in mind. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, These leaders need to be keeping watch properly over your souls. They need to be functioning according to the word of God. The the leadership of shepherds in the church is always derived from the Lord and must be according to the word of the Lord. Otherwise, it is not faithful shepherding. And the Bible also makes clear that the kind of authority that pastors and elders have is, to, to quote our our book of church order in the PCA, ministerial and declarative, meaning we counsel from the word of God. We point people to the word of God. We say, this is what the word of God says. Here's how you can live that out in your life. And then when sheep are straying, here's how we're called to follow the Lord. We call people to account, but always according to the word. So godly followership, the picture that we get in the Bible is of shepherds lovingly, faithfully, caring for the sheep, and the sheep submitting to the loving leadership of those who are leading them in the Lord. That's the picture, but that's not what we have in Ezekiel chapter 34 from the shepherds. So let's look now to what God condemns in his shepherds. Let's look at the failure of the shepherds in verses 2, 3, and 4. The Lord says there, Omission and sins of commission that are in this passage concerning the care or lack thereof on the part of the shepherds. They failed to feed the sheep. They failed to heal the sick and the wounded sheep. They failed to seek after the lost sheep. That's what they failed to do. Instead, their sins of commission, what they did that they should not have done, they fed themselves. They clothed themselves. And especially there at the end of verse 4, they ruled with force and harshness. Michael Kruger, in his book *Bully Pulpit*, says this is the quintessential example of spiritual abuse. They ruled with force and harshness. I've, I've read a number of, of books, three books, uh, on this topic over the last few months. I, I'm, I'm gonna if you get the um, if you get the Grace Weekly on Tuesdays when those come out, there'll be a link to all three of these books. That, uh, that you can take a look at if you want to. But I'm going to mention them now. Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church by Dan- Diane Langberg, a very important book. Uh, the Way of the Dragon or the Way of the Lamb, Searching for Jesus' Path of Power in a Church that Has Abandoned It by Kyle Strobel and Jamin Goggin, also an important book. And then most recently, I finished reading a book titled Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church by Michael Kruger. It is an excellent book. It's a very practical book. It's geared toward pastors, elders, and congregants in order to enable us all to identify and safeguard against spiritual abuse in the church. I can't recommend it more. It's going to become required reading for every officer candidate from here on out, and the elders and deacons, heads up, guys, we're all going to read it together And talk about it because it's that impactful of a book. And I hope if you're going to buy one out of those three, I hope you'll buy that one. I hope you buy all three and read them. But if you got to pick one, let me encourage you to grab that one because of how practical it is. What is spiritual abuse? I'm going to use Michael Kruger's definition in Bully Pulpit. First, what it isn't. Spiritual abuse is not physical abuse, although the two can be linked. Spiritual abuse can lead to that. Spiritual abuse is not sexual abuse, although those two can be linked. Spiritual abuse and sexual abuse can go together. Spiritual abuse is defined this way. Spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader, such as a pastor, elder, or head of a Christian organization, wields his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he manipulates, bullies, and intimidates those under him as a means of maintaining his own power and control. I'll read it again. Spiritual, spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader, such as a pastor, elder, or head of a Christian organization, wields his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he manipulates, bullies, and intimidates those under him as a means of maintaining his own power and control. Now, why does it happen? And Kruger points out two, two things. First of all, he goes back even further into the life of Israel, past way past Ezekiel, and he says, remember Saul. Remember when the people clamored for a king like all the other nations had. They wanted the king that was powerful. They wanted the king that stood head and shoulders above everybody else. They wanted the king who was more concerned about crushing their enemies than feeding the sheep. And Kruger's point is too often we look for the same kind of leader kind of leaders that we want in our churches too often are those who are strong leaders, dynamic leaders, charismatic leaders, powerful leaders, instead of looking for the very character qualities that we'll look at next week in 1 Timothy 3 and that I've already referenced so far this morning. So we we look for the wrong kinds of leaders too often. We have a model of leadership that is completely antithetical to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. When Mark's uh, in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus' disciples came to him and said, you know, give us positions of power in your kingdom. Let us sit at your right hand and at your left. And Jesus says concerning the Gentiles, they like to lord it over you. It is not to be so among you. Take up your cross and follow me. Right? The very types of leaders that, that we are not to be pursuing, too often we pursue But then also, we don't hold accountable the leaders that we do have. We do not have the appropriate mechanisms for accountability and the safeguarding of the flock in churches, no matter how much you may like or dislike the pastor. Every church needs to address this issue. Some are better than others, but every church has to ask, how are we safeguarding the sheep from the shepherds, recognizing from scripture and from historical and contemporary examples that the sheep can be hurt by shepherds, and too frequently are. What's the result? We we saw it in, in Ezekiel thirty-four. The sheep are scattered. Verse Five, they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, the Lord says, were scattered. Verse six, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered, he says, over all the face of the earth, with none to search or to seek for them. One of the things that... uh, One of the next books I'm going to be reading is called The Great Dechurching. It's talking about how so many people are leaving and have been leaving the church and asking the question, why? And one of the reasons why is because of the very reason we're talking about this morning. People experience this kind of spiritual abuse in the church, and they give up on God, not just on the church. And that is tragic. But God will restore his sheep. He tells us in this passage. He will restore his sheep. So let's look at that. How does he do that? Well, first of all, he will judge the bad shepherds. He will judge them. Look at verse 10. The Lord says there in verse 10, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. And then in verse 16 at the end, I will feed them in justice. That's not the Lord saying through Ezekiel, I will make sure that that my shepherds are going to be treated justly. He is doing that. But there at the end in particular, he's saying, The full weight of my justice will fall upon the false shepherds. They will eat and drink of my wrath because of how they failed to shepherd the sheep. Now, when I read the passage at the beginning here before the sermon, you heard me emphasize the words my and I. My sheep the Lord says over and over and over again throughout this passage. They are mine. And that is the problem with false shepherds. False shepherds think the sheep are theirs. You exist, a false shepherd says, for my power, for my control, for my advancement, for my name, for my glory. And the Lord comes to false shepherds and says, no, they're mine. They're my sheep. They're not yours. And if you won't faithfully shepherd my sheep, I will remove you in order to protect them. So the Lord will judge bad shepherds. He is against them. But then, second, He has sent the good shepherd. He has sent the good shepherd. Look at chapter 34, verse 15. The Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. Now you hear Psalm 23 there, right? You hear Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you also remember John 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is talking to people of Israel. He's, he's talking to those who have, would have known Ezekiel 34. And he's making a link for them. These these false shepherds in Jesus' day, these Pharisees that I have been pronouncing woes upon, they are not going to shepherd you any longer. Follow me. I am the good shepherd that is pointed to in Ezekiel chapter 34. I am the Lord God, Jesus says. And he says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. The false shepherds in Ezekiel chapter 34 fed themselves themselves. They clothed themselves. The good shepherd was willing to be hungry, to be spat upon, and to hang naked in order to rescue his sheep. In Matthew, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps because the people in Jerusalem were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is the shepherd who leaves the 99 in order to pursue the one. Jesus is the good shepherd. He alone is the one who can be trusted. If you, and the statistics, you know, would bear this out, if you are here this morning as one who has experienced this kind of spiritual abuse and are ready to give up on the church, know that the Lord is the good shepherd. He knows you. He weeps for the pain that you have and are experiencing. He has come to rescue you. Now we'll see next week, again, how that doesn't mean that he sets aside human shepherds and says, let's just have a one-on-one relationship, you and me, forget about the church. Jesus doesn't do away with the church, he's building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet there's so much comfort in knowing that Jesus is the one to whom we belong. No earthly authority, no pastor, no elder, no form of church government. Jesus is the shepherd of his sheep. Again, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, why? We're talking about false shepherds and the one true shepherd. Did Jesus lay down his Life in order to protect us from false shepherds, that wouldn't make much sense because if he dies to protect us from false shepherds, the false shepherds can just have their way in. Satan can have his way with us if Jesus only died to give us temporary protection. But Jesus didn't lay down his life to protect us from false shepherds. Jesus laid down his life to forgive us, pastors and people alike, for our sin. We all like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says. Each one of us has turned to his own way, pastors and people alike, shepherd and sheep alike. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all have sinned, pastor and people alike, and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus died that we might have life. Now you know that. And you, are ch- you need to be challenged to remember that. But guess who else needs to be challenged to remember that? And the elders and anyone else who's in a position of leadership here in this church. The Lord laid down his life for every one of us that we might have life in him and in him alone. The Lord has a beautiful picture for how the church can function under his authority with shepherds, Pastors and elders lovingly caring for, leading, feeding, knowing, guiding, protecting the flock, the flock entrusting themselves to those whom God has placed in spiritual authority over them in the Lord as they lead according to the Lord's design with him as the head of the church, he as the ultimate shepherd, under whom shepherds shepherd in his stead. There's a beautiful picture of what the church can be but we need to be wise enough and discerning enough and humble enough to know that sin is very much present. There's an enemy who is seeking to devour and to destroy. We have to remember Ezekiel chapter 34. Guard against the false shepherds and keep our eyes fixed on the one true shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would indeed help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before you endured the cross, scorning its shame. And Lord, you call each of us, pastor and people alike, shepherds and sheep, all of us together, to follow you in the way of the cross, to lay down our lives as you lay down your life for your glory and not for our own. So help us, Lord, as a church, to be faithful, protect us, Lord, from leaders who would harm and devour and seek glory and personal gain. Lord, do that not just at this church, but in your church around the world, wherever your people are gathered. Oh, Lord, would you do a work that, among other things, points to the reality of your shepherding care for your flock? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.